shrimp for food. Get the F-bomb, get the frick. If you want to say it, Louie, go ahead. Get the fuck off the strip, would you? <laughs> so I'm going to give you some fun facts first. Uh, the Nevada Restaurant Association says in Nevada, the projected growth is 12.9% for amount of restaurants. The national average is 11.6%. So in general, we grow quicker than other restaurants, other cities, other states across the country. Bon Appetit magazine calls Las Vegas one of the top five restaurant cities in America. And across the country and across the world, Las Vegas is known for their largest selection of celebrated chefs and TV icons represented all on one street. Of course, the Strip. We got Jose Andres, who Louis works for, who I used to work for, Robichon, Thomas Keller, Susan Feniger, Mary Sue Milligan, Christina Tosi, Gordon Ramsay. You could go on and on and on for the next like 10 days talking about how many well-known celebrity chefs are right. on the strip. In the culinary world, it's like the strip is the walk of fame, basically. Yeah, I mean, really, I can't think of any other city really in the world that has that many on one street. Everybody is represented, and every year it becomes more and more and more. It's like everybody wants a piece of Las Vegas. But right now, we want to highlight what you can enjoy off of our famous boulevard, because guess what? We live here, and we need a place to go and not go back to the strip after we left the strip for work, right? The last thing that we want is to go back to the strip on our days off. Right. Right. We, in general, people think we do. We, like, people think that we freaking, like, live on the strip. Like, when people come in and town, they're just like, oh, wait, you're so far from the strip, like... You don't, you don't go there every day? You don't gamble every single day? You don't go to strip right. clubs every weekend? Like Newsflash. No. There's like places outside of the strip, and it's called <laughs> Las Vegas. We actually call it home. And big time actor, celebrity Tony Curtis lived here for a very long time in Henderson. And I'm going to quote him. He said, if you know how to live in Las Vegas, you can have the best time. So today, we're going to have a really great time with the freaking awesome local chef. We've got James Trees here with us, chef owner of Esther's Downtown Las Vegas in the Arts District, and now Ada's in Tivoli Village. I always have a hard time saying it. It's Tivoli Village, right? Tivoli's hard to say, yeah. (laughs) Thanks for coming and joining us. Well, thank you for hanging out here. I mean, it's huge. Okay, so you're a unicorn, and I'm going to say this for many reasons, but one of the main reasons is I I found out that you're a light, right? You are local, like I'm a real local. Raised, yeah. Like we consider ourselves locals at this point, but we weren't yeah. born and raised here. Well, I mean, like it's it's kind of a different thing because like people ask me like where I grew up, and I tell them like I grew up in a shitty desert town of fifty thousand people, <laughs> you know, with a bunch of honky tonk bars and all this uh, all this craziness around us. But we were very insulated. We had a very uh, simple life growing up. But the funny thing is, like I, when I was born. Las Vegas was 50,000 people in 1980. When I left for the first time to go to culinary school, it was 2 million. So the growth is just explosive. Like, mm-hmm. we're not talking about, like, seeing new people. Basically, it put us as being locals in the super minority. So it's kind of cool to see what we have 
when you talk about second, third, fourth generation Las Vegans and what the people of Las Vegas have built here. Um, and it really comes down to um, a few people deciding to plant roots mm -hmm. and make something in this space, which I mean, like, was basically unlivable. Right. right? Um, you know, I live downtown uh, at Rancho Nalta kind of area, like the cool, like old ranch style houses. Right. And I love that, you know, like um, living in Summerlin and being around all the stucco does has absolutely no appeal for me. You know, I like <laughs> right. I need something that's real. Exactly. And something like that doesn't feel like Orange County. Right. And a lot of Las Vegas outside of the strip feels like Orange County. It's strip mall after strip mall after strip mall followed by stucco house after stucco house after stucco house. Choose one of your four colors, choose one of your four layouts, and all of a sudden there's your house. Now, Las Vegas has a ton of stuff going for it. Like, this is one of the only cities in the country where a cook can buy a house. That's so true. You can be a cook yes. at a restaurant and own a house. Like, people in LA, people in New York, people in Portland, people in Seattle hear me say something like that, and they think I'm crazy. Mm -hmm, and I'm right. like, nope. Las Vegas affords people opportunities that you cannot have anywhere else in this uh, in this country. Like you guys are like talking about working for some of the greatest restaurant groups, like Last Entertain You, and mm -hmm. some of the greatest chefs like Jose Andres. Yeah. And don't get me wrong, those opportunities are amazing, and those restaurants are fantastic, and they do incredible numbers. I mean, like to the tune of like like being the top ten grossing restaurants in the country for Joe's or uh, Bizarre Meats is being like considered one of the best steakhouses in the, in the States or if not the world. Yeah, right. Like, I mean, like, but then there's also another side of it, which is how often do you see Jose Andres? When's the last Once time? Once every you, couple yeah. of months. Yeah. 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 He comes in. Yeah, he comes where in. Is, does he ever like take off the, uh, the was it, was the thing he's like wearing now? Is like that. Oh, the vest. The Mario Batali vest. <laughs> he's, yeah, so yeah. he's wearing the Mario Batali vest now. He has a, yeah. sh a chef jacket hanging out in front yeah. of like every bazaar, yeah. right? And he just puts it on as, as, right? as soon yeah. as he walks. Exactly, like, right? And that's the thing. is like he's in a couple days, boom, 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 he's out. You know, very few things change. The thing I love about bazaar is like I love that food. I had it at the mini bar in 2004, right? Right or right. 2006, and I had it at El Bulli in 2005 when Ooh. I was at El Bulli. I went and ate there, and then you turn around, and then you look, and then like, oh, they're still doing the same shit. Like I'm like, stop. You know, right. it's like you have a classic restaurant like like uh, Joe's, which does everything that they know that they do. They do it well and they kick ass at it. And Let's Entertain You has taken that idea and turn that into an amazing restaurant. But now you go off strip, nobody wants that. Yes, exactly. Nobody wants, because those are destination restaurants, the kind of restaurants you eat at once a year, mm -hmm. maybe. Yeah. Right? Like how many, like I bet you can count, like Joe's is a little bit different because you can count a lot of the regulars. Uh, definitely. Like, yeah, Every right? day we have regulars. Yeah, I mean, you have like people who have salads named after them that have their own, like. Oh, they have their own button in the. They have their own button yeah, in yeah, the POS. Yeah. yeah. That's something that's like, yeah, like the Reverend Salad. That is not normal. So, you're right. Right. Yeah, we have a regular at Bazaar. Her name's yeah. Linda Friedman. Yeah. 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 She's, <laughs> she's just. Yeah, but at Joe's, one. it's <laughs> like, we literally have salads, <laughs> yeah. like you said, named right. after yeah. people. And like when you go in as a chef, and you have no idea what they even are because you're just like, what's nope. a Marshall? Right. Like, I don't yeah. even know what your diet's some guy that's been there forever, you know? Yeah. But that's and that, awesome. And that's a and rare thing, yeah, right? right? And so what we're doing is 
Uh, we're kind of creating the idea of the neighborhood restaurant in a city with no neighborhood restaurants. Right. We have all these awesome neighborhoods. Like we have Summerlin, we have downtown, we have the east side, we have the west side, we have the southwest, we have Henderson, we have Green Valley, mm -hmm. right? Where do those people eat? And the answer is they all eat at chains. They eat at like Carrabba's and Macaroni Grill and Olive Garden, you know, and they eat, and honestly, like, the reason why they eat at those places is because they're not afforded the opportunity to eat anywhere else right. because all the talent is sucked up by the strip, mm -hmm. right? But here's the thing. 90% of the people moving to Vegas are from L.A. or San Francisco or places like that, and they want and crave neighborhood restaurants. That's true. Right? That and is also, true. they also have a ton of disposable income. Right. Right. Because right? why are people moving to, to Vegas? For opportunity. For, yes. Let's talk a little bit about that because I've got some interesting numbers here for that too as well. Um, according to the National Resources Defense Council, so they're the guys, the NRDC, that kind of decide whether we can like survive here. <laughs> so they worry about water and land and how is this all going to work, you know. It's always been an issue in Las Vegas mm -hmm. and even maybe now more so than ever before. Clark County is home to more than 2 million people, so that's the whole county. Uh, by 2042, we expect 3.32 million that's a 67% increase. They're saying that that could be the largest population boom in the entire country in the next you know, couple of decades here. So there clearly is a need for local spaces to eat. Right. And in opening you know, Esther's and Ada's, actually, well, pretty close to each other, right? Like a, within a year? Oh, a year and a half, yeah. Within a year and a half. But I mean, like we actually were talking about doing this restaurant a year ago. So, like, if they're saying, like, um, I didn't come to Vegas to open a restaurant. That wasn't my idea. Okay. My idea was to come home and make my city have the restaurants it deserves, right? Because we, like, the simple fact of the matter is, is our check average here is 32, 35 bucks, right? Right. Down in Astros, oh, my gosh, we've gone all the way up to 42. Okay. <gasps> wow. Whoa, right? Yeah. right? <laughs> What's your guys' check average at Joe's? 110, 115. About that. About right? that. What's the check average of bizarre? 255. 255. Well, let's go like this. Yeah. Normal people are not eating there. Right. Right. Like I got it's tired. It's a destination of, place, like well, you no, said. I also, it's for birthday. It's the one percent. It's yeah. the one percent. Like you're feeding the one percent at those restaurants, and for the most part, it's people acting like the one percent. Right. Who really couldn't afford to eat there, but it's, so they're on vacation or it is a special right. occasion. This is a restaurant that you can get that quality of food every single day. We make everything. Like, you guys at Bazaar make everything, mm -hmm. right? Yes, we do. It's huge, right? right? Like, I mean, you know, at, at Joe's, like, you buy the best product you can get your hands on, right? Well, guess what? I do the exact same thing. Except for what you guys are buying is prime dry-aged beef. What you guys are buying is mm -hmm. whole animals, right? What yeah. I'm buying is really good tomatoes, right? right? I'm buying really good flour, right? And so I've created these menus to be uh, pockets of things that people crave and love. Right? Make really, really good product. Mm -hmm. And then on top of it, make it super approachably priced so that way people can come and actually eat, drink, and pay their bills. That's what I love about a lot of the downtown restaurants, downtown Las Vegas, obviously for us, is like mm -hmm. kind of like one of the first, what you were saying, like outside of the strip towns where it's like this is amazing community and it was just like, you know, a place where you go to like see art, or, you know, but it's yeah. a culture. But it didn't used to be. You know, right, yeah. it used to be a place where like, to be honest, like it was where. We thought hookers were and like you know oh, like yeah. it was it was a place to get drugs well, it you, wasn't that hey, safe if you, if you if you know a place to find hookers <laughs> around downtown 
Let me know. I got some people but there. I'm just saying, there. Uh, but I'm just saying, like, it used <laughs> but, to know, be thought of yeah. as that, and now it's, like, thought of as, like you said, like, an arts district right. and a place where you get cool food and get an urban vibe and it was, it cool was bars. Always, it was always that. Like, that's the thing it. is, like, people don't understand. It's like they had this idea of what it was, and they had never been there. Mm-hmm. Right? So I can see that. what we did is, and this is, like, the thing that I tell people all the time is, like, the artists, the, the, the entrepreneurs were already there. Right? We just highlighted what was around us. So when I went to go hire people, I didn't hire people from the strip. I didn't hire people with fancy resumes. You know what I hired? I hired local artists. I hired super nice human beings and people who wanted to come work at the restaurant who watched us build it and said, I want to be a part of that. Those are the people I hired. You know, and that's the most important part of it. Like my first two hire my first three hires at the restaurant, my best friend Alfio, mm-hmm. right? who I just got done moving a bunch of refrigerators with, right? Um, and he was working at, you know, Red Robin or some asphalt company, and he was making, like, 12 bucks an hour, no future ahead of him, like, nothing. Like, he, now, I was like, dude, I'm going to pay you 12 bucks an hour because I know you're the nicest human being I've ever met. I know you will treat people with so much respect and so much love. They will fall in love with this restaurant. That's where I came from with my first hire. Right. My second hire was my GM, Craig. He was my sister's husband, right? He just moved to Colorado to, to um, take on a new role. He's a new father. He wants to be with his family. I was like, awesome, good for you, mm-hmm. right? My third hire was one of my great friends and drinking buddies from high school, Casey. He's my sous chef. He runs the nighttime pass. He's the guy with all the tattoos on his face. Yeah, you know, not exactly. And he was a military vet and all that, and he was working at some shitty pizza places. I was right. like, dude, I'm going to teach you how to cook. I'm going to give you a fucking future, right? That's how I found my first three employees. Right. Like, I, that's where that came from. And then it was the artists, then it was the waiters, then it was the bartenders. The first bartender that we hired was Sonia. She was at Catania in San Francisco. She's just, like, burned out on the Bay Area. Right. It's too expensive. Like, I mean, you could, like, make half the, you could make a third of the money and live better in Las Vegas mm-hmm. than living in the Bay Area. It's true that. You know? And so, like, why not give these people an opportunity so what I love about Esther's, you were just talking about Esther's. There's a lot of things. Obviously the food, duh. Yeah. Food's easy. Yeah. It's not, but, okay. <laughs> uh, you're, humble. Easy. you're humble in saying that. Yeah, I don't no, think well, it I mean, necessarily like, is. Well, I mean, think about it. Food is process, right? Food is all about technique and process. Right. That's all it is, right? Execution. So once you, yeah, once you teach people technique and process, then it's, can, the only place it can fall down is execution. Mm-hmm. And so what we do is we put a chef on the pass and nothing goes out of that kitchen unless it's fucking perfect. Right. So what's hard about that? Yeah. Well, I mean, it shouldn't be a hard thing. A lot of people, how many times do you go to a restaurant and it just sucks? Yeah, a lot oh, of people dude, still uh, fuck yeah, it up. But they make food so difficult. But that's yeah. the thing is, like, get out of your way. As a chef, like, the, the hardest thing you have to learn, and, and trust me, I go to Bizarre Meats and I laugh. And the reason why I laugh at a place like that, because, like, I remember when Voltaggio was doing all that stuff at the original Bazaar 10 years ago, 11 mm-hmm. years ago now, right? And I see Holly, who's the chef there, who's an awesome chef, and she's just executing the same food that Michael did. You know, and I'm just like, okay, cool. Well, guess what? End of the day, like, get out of your way. Stop trying to be creative and give people what they want. Joe's does a really good job at that. You know what? They're one of the only places in town you can get Bernays sauce that's not fucking cold. Hmm. That's one of the great things about Joe's. I love Joe's. Like, I have friends that work at Joe's. I've been eating there for 15 plus years or whatever it's been, right? Like, I love that restaurant. Bizarre Meats. Like, the meat part of it, the steakhouse part of it is innovative and cool and replicatable, and you guys should do that. And all the other stuff, 
fucking stop doing foie gras and cotton candy because it wasn't cool fucking 10 years ago. You know? I'm like, it's so boring. It's just like, you charge he's, call, eight, he's calling charge, us out here. You charge $8 for a fucking piece of foie gras that's a quarter inch by, or half inch by a half inch. It's such a big seller, though. I know. It's yeah, a, yeah, it really want, is. Right? This is a visual thing, <laughs> yeah. right? And people Partially, are there yes. for an occasion, right? Right, right, right. You know it's what an ex- I part of the experience. Right. I like putting four ounces of foie gras on a pizza and charging twenty-seven dollars for it. <laughs> yeah, I gotta try yeah. that pizza. I saw that yeah. on the menu last that time. Foie I was to uh, <laughs> foie to uh, price ratio is actually pretty good. Yeah, I, I might try that. There yeah, exactly. Because because right. like when I went to San Sebastian, when I went to Spain, and I spent time where Jose, you know, is from. Guess what? They eat big pieces of seared foie gras and charge you nine bucks. Wow. Yeah, and the, like so, like I think like some of that. Um, some of the innovation and some of the technique gets in the way of actually giving people delicious food, right? So we just get out of our own way. Spaghetti and meatballs. Right. That's what, like, hey, we work on our meatball process. Our meatballs are down to the gram of salt. We mm-hmm. know exactly what goes in them every single time. The funny thing is, is that we do the exact same thing with pasta. We do the exact same thing with bread. Like, I mean, our bread process is insane. Dude, the bread kills yeah. me. Yeah. It kills yeah. me here and then yeah. Esther's. It's just, yeah. it's got those nice holes in it. And I got to like say. Crispy on the outside, fluffy on the inside. It's perfect bread. It's perfect amazing, butter. It's an amazing Levin. I mean, yes. that's really what it is. It's a, we're an Italian restaurant that serves French bread. Right. Not a big deal, right? Because I don't think there's any, like, crossover there. Like, I don't think there's any problem doing that. Um, my whole entire game with that is like we are consistent with it and the reason why it's so good is because of a process right process is the most important thing right so what do we talk about measure the flour measure the water measure the salt measure the starter that's all you got to do right right down to the ground you also have to measure the bowl temperature the water temperature the air temperature the flour temperature you have to create a, uh, a spreadsheet that allows you to monitor all those things. You measure the bread dough. You measure the bread dough 30 minutes later. And like you, you to the degree, to the 10th of a degree, you know exactly what that dough That's is That's where doing. that perfect technique comes yeah. in with it. It's kind of like a about. scientific method. It's not just about method. the recipe. Yeah, it's, it is. It's a scientific it, method. It really is. It's a formula. Yeah. I mean, like that, but that's what all good baking is, is formulas, right? right? Yeah. Uh, same thing with our ice cream. Our ice creams are formulas. Like... Most ice cream places, like we were at Bodega's, right? They buy Strauss organic vanilla base. They add flavor to it. They spin it. Bam. Done. Game over. Right. Lots of stabilizers. Still called organic. You're good to go. Right? Nope. Not us. We start with milk that varies in fat content. We measure the fat content. Right? And then we build off of that and create our ice cream one step at a time. Right? Right? And the ice cream is ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, and it's so good. I haven't here. tried it, but yeah. Looking You're going to need to try it. Oh, it's right? crazy. We did 40 different versions of chocolate to Whoa. get through the chocolate that we wanted. Oh, my God. That Amazonian chocolate. I'm just like, ah, it's like the chocolatiest chocolate ice cream I've ever had. Yeah. Very chocolatey. I mean, talking chocolate. to you. Chocolatey chocolate. He, <laughs> hearing you talk about your process and all that and, and seeing your creativity, it's like you're part mad scientist and, you know, part artist. No, actually, I'm more part scientist. Mad scientists wrap fucking foie gras and cotton candy. <laughs> okay. And, and purify all of juice and fucking sell fucking olive juice for fucking $9 a shot. Right, right, right. Right? And don't get me wrong, when they were doing that El Bulli and it was fucking cool back in 2004, like, I'm cool with that. Right? But why are they doing that now? Right? Good question. Like, I mean, that's, that's the thing. Is like, I remember when I ate the mini bar in 2005 and I got the, the dirty martini with the olive sphere in the bottom of it. I thought that was a really good innovative use of that. Right? 
And I was like, that's really cool. And they were doing some really cool stuff and they were moving it forward. What the problem is, because they didn't create those techniques, they hit a wall. Because, for, like, because uh, Ferran and uh, his brother are not creating new stuff, you don't see new innovation coming out of that, that, mm-hmm. that food, right? So my question is, why can't someone pick up that mantle and run with it? Why can't they take it to the next level? You wanna know why? Because even Ferran hit a wall. Ferran hit a wall creatively where he said, I can't do this anymore. And his brother was like, I can't come up with 40 new dishes every year, right? And he talks about that in his like in his chef table, right? I'm a big fan of that. that yeah, series. me too. He talks about the creative process. Mm-hmm. What are they doing now? I mean, I feel like they're doing Italian they, food. I feel like there are <laughs> some creative outlets in Spain that they're doing. Like they're doing a Peruvian place that's pretty badass. Yeah. Um, but they're doing some cool new stuff. It's just you know well, over time you place. do start to. They did. They did a Spanish place called Bottega, right? Mm-hmm. And then they did tickets, which is awesome. Right. Tickets they did is a amazing. Peruvian place. The Peruvian place is not as good as Ricardo's food in L.A. It's I have not, not been even... to Ricardo's. I've been to Once here. Yeah, it's been Once. So, so Once is yeah. basically the, the, the distilled version of Ricardo's food. And I think his Peruvian food is way better than the Peruvian food that I had in Peru. So there you go. And, like, like what they're doing is really, really good. Right. But, I mean, like, the Spanish version of that is not going to be as good as the actual original versions. Just to steer you back a little bit, too, I was just kind of getting onto the point of why I like uh, Ada's, well, especially Esther's when yeah. it comes to what I'm about to say, <laughs> is it's not just the food, it's it's the, um, so we just came back from L.A., yep. where it's it's constant, like, scene and constant, you know, just, like, nope. it's urban in yeah. many new places, it's cool, it has that certain vibe that we really loved, and Louis started to get used to there, was like, oh, maybe I could live here because of the vibe. That's what Esther has that other restaurants, especially on the strip, don't have. Yep. Like, how do you, how do you create that vibe? I mean, obviously it's the setting, partly because yeah. it's, it's already there. Yeah. But the people and just I don't know the energy in there. Not so, all. Not all. So okay, it started with not the design. All downtown Las Vegas yeah. restaurants have that. Right. Well, you do have the it there. So so so. All right, so I came from Venice. I lived in Venice for ten years before I came back to Vegas. Uh-huh. Um, that was a big part of it because like you're on kind of like the cutting edge of some of the best restaurants in the country mm-hmm. and you know it's going to work and you know how to make that work. Abbot Kinney is insane. Yeah, yeah mm-hmm. I mean like I mean yeah, you have the tasting kitchen, you have yours truly, uh, you have Jelena, you have MTN, you have mm-hmm. Felix, Felix right around the corner is the Rose Cafe, you got Justa around the corner. Dude, that's a block. That's a block of that's amazing a block. restaurant. Right. Yeah. I mean think about that. Like that is like, you know, that was my neighborhood. So when I came back the one thing I realized is that the settings of the restaurants need to fit their area, right? right. And you see that right. here at Ada's as much as you see that at Esther's. Mm-hmm. Definitely. So we took a lot of the ideas that were around with the art inside the restaurant, the wood that's in the restaurant, and then we looked next door at our neighbors who did the... Uh, uh, who did the the barbershop, Larry and Eric, and they're just amazing, and Brock. And let me tell you, like, they nailed their aesthetic. We took their aesthetic and worked it into the space. And then we went over to Rebar, and we saw what they were selling, and we worked that into the silverware. And then we got our guys, at, um, the wonderful Tom and Peter, who create all of our plates. Right. And we got them involved. So the most important thing that we did at Esther's was create a community restaurant by involving the people in the community, in the restaurant. If you do that and you get people to buy in, 
to the restaurant, there was no question in my mind that we would be successful. How successful we've been is pretty fucking awesome. Right. Definitely. You know? I mean, you have so much word of mouth. You don't right. necessarily even need advertising. Like, all I do is hear about Esther's all the time. I mean, well, I mean the you've got great is, word like, of mouth. Number one, we have a really, really good PR person. All right? It's not just because he's fucking standing here over my shoulder <laughs> right. like an asshole. All right? That's what makes me a good PR person. Exactly. <laughs> right? But that's the thing is, like, you, you don't realize, like, I mean, we... I never kind of left Vegas. Like, I always had my idea of what I wanted to do here. Mm-hmm. Me and my sister started driving around and started looking for a place to open a restaurant. I had never seen the Arts District, but I drove around Vegas and saw stucco after stucco, plastic after plastic, strip mall after strip mall, and I was just like, there's nowhere I I can't open a restaurant here. And then we went down here and we started driving around downtown. I'm like, no, no, it's too, too, these tall buildings don't work. I don't like that. Like, no. And then we just hit Main Street and I was like, let's go to Stratosphere. Let's go, you know, get get a beer. It's hot outside. It's 125. And we cruised down Main Street, and I was like, well, that's the place. Yeah. That was it. Like, that was, like, literally, like, we just, like, looked. And so I wanted to get the Alpine Fixtures building, which is, um, which had a big old parking lot. And I got a hold of the guy. I found out he lived in L.A., and he was, like, and he had lost, he didn't pay his taxes, and he lost the uh, building to the bank. He only owed $80,000 on the freaking building i could have bought the building mm-hmm. if i had gotten to him two months earlier uh, right right here's the thing <clears throat> the bank turns around and sells the property for 1.8 million dollars oh my god what and a profit like, <laughs> oh my god <laughs> right? so go around the corner from that i'm like i'm like oh i can't get that place two months later i come back out walk around the corner and i see the artwork on the side of the building of esters and i'm like super cool really nice uh, graffiti on top. Up top looks like skulls black, kind of cool. I'm like, that's a spot. That's it. That's yeah. it. And I got a hold of the little guy, and he's like, my, my landlord, Cameron, was like, oh, you want the p- part with all the glass and all the space, right? I'm like, nope. I want the part that doesn't face east because I don't want the morning sun. Right. I want a small restaurant, 40 seats, so I control my rent, control my costs, mm-hmm. right? And I'm going to build it out, and I'm going to build it from the ground up. And I put everything that I had into it, and I almost ran out of money, and it was super hard. And if it wasn't that hard, maybe it wouldn't be the place that it was. But it feels amazing in there, and, like, I'm grateful for every day that I get to work there. Right. There's not enough said, I think, about having a smaller space for a restaurant. I just, right. it's one of those things for me, like, it's, it's just the huge selling point as somebody coming in to dine, not just mm-hmm. to work at. Yep. True. But to dine, it's, it's intimate. For some mm-hmm. reason, it feels like more like you're in a house, like a family setting, which any chef that's anything knows that it's, it's your house. Right. It's I mean, where you, it's, it's where you live a lot of your life. It's only that, but it's also, um, it's a very sacred space for me because we put so much work into it and people have come in and they don't appreciate the space and when they don't appreciate the space we know they won't last Hmm. because like if you've worked in big kitchens where you can like throw a football around as marco carbon carbon says he's like yeah we throw the football around in the uh in the kitchen it's so big (laughs) as compared to like new york where it's a closet and you have one plating space that's the right. size of two deuces like this, and you do every freaking plate off of that, right? But somehow you make it work. 
But the thing is, like, you, you always make it work. Yeah. And you don't have a choice. Like, like the reason why we made bread at Esther's is because I couldn't find anyone that had good bread in Las Vegas. That's, That's the reason true. why we make it. Though. It is hard yeah. to find. And I, it, finding it, it's it's usually at a really expensive place. Like, to be honest, yeah. like Robichon. Yeah. I really like yeah. their bread there. Exactly. I love their bread selection. Yeah. But, but then you got to pay $500 yeah, to they employ, eat there. Yeah, they also <laughs> employ, like, five guys from France who just that make just do bread. bread. Yeah. And every single day, you know where the best bread selection is? At the EDR at MGM. That's true. That That's where, true. if you want to eat the good bread, yeah. you go to the EDR at MGM every night, <laughs> and there's bread there, because they bring it down, and they basically throw mm-hmm. it away. Right. Because, yeah. I mean, like, how many covers does Robichon do? 20? Uh, 15? Yeah. 60, maybe? 60 yeah. max. Letelier, yeah. probably, yeah. like, 15, 20. Yeah. yeah. They're no, more I mean, like Letelier cooking. Is, actually does a little bit more business because of the setting of it, but, I mean, like, really, you have to look at that and be like... They're producing all this product because you can't produce less because the formulas and mixtures don't allow you to, mm-hmm. right? Okay, cool. Now, what do you do with that product? Are you going to serve day-old bread, two-day-old bread at Robuchon with that name on the door? Absolutely no. No. not. No, right? So you throw it away. Right. Who eats it? We do. Yeah, the employees. <laughs> like, as, as right. cooks, like, you know who eats it? The poker dealers eat it. They <laughs> take it home. Right? They love Whoa. it. Yeah, but for us, it's more like... We create bread to use in all of our recipes because we couldn't find the product that we wanted, right? If I can't find the product, I'll make it. I don't care what the cost is. I don't care what the, like, what the process is. We have to make it. Mm-hmm. Like, if I couldn't find better milk to make ice cream, we wouldn't make ice cream. Oh, okay. Right? That was, that was the whole entire idea. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. And that's really what it comes down to with our restaurants is, like, it's a choice. Not based on cost, quality. but based on quality. Yeah. Right. And so people, I think, once they finally get to the restaurant and they've seen all the stupid articles and all the hype and all this stuff, well, I don't say stupid articles, but you know, all the articles, all the hype, everything else, they've seen all the Yelp pictures, right? And then they get the food and they're like, it's spaghetti. How good could it be? And they eat it and it they're like, great. oh, it's fucking good. You know, right? I, I went there with a date and, you know, it's like, oh, where, where should I take her? I went to Esther's and nice. uh, it was a really, really good meal. Yeah. We were we were both like commenting on how good the pasta was and yeah. we had the bread. Yeah, it's good. It's like, great. It's, it's great, super fun, right? right? Yeah, I yeah. went home. But that's the thing is like, why can't restaurants just be good? Yeah. Like, why is like, why do they have to have the cachet of a fancy chef? Why do they have to have 250 seats? Why can't we just have good restaurants, man? Like, I, I just sometimes I just ask that and people don't have an answer for it. Yeah. I love that kind of a point that you touched on a little bit earlier about affordability, but also being upscale. I love that that yeah. at your two locations, yeah. you can be it can be upscale. You can, like you said, you can go on a date. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like you can kind of dress up if you want to. You know, it's right. like. But at the same time, it's we're so desensitized. I think in Las Vegas more than any other place. Yeah. We're like you know we're, we expect to spend ninety a hundred dollars on a steak, <laughs> and so when we come right. to places like this, my husband and I all the time yeah. we're always like. $25, $30 for a steak? This is cheap. Which, anywhere right. else in the country, that's ridiculous to say. Is but it a real we're steak? we're so desensitized to the well, price yeah, well, sure. I think that's, that we're willing to things. pay it. Yeah, like, you go to the restaurant, like, you get the bill at Esther's if you share a bunch of food, and you almost laugh. Because we made it so you can't spend money. Oh, you want to ball out and get a big bottle of wine? Well, guess what? All of our wines are $40, so you that's can't That's right? 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 I mean, like, but the thing is, like, we work within those uh, parameters in order to create something that is very neighborhoody. That is very special, right? Like, I mean, like we're changing the way that people in Las Vegas view restaurants and how they should be. Right, right, right. right. And that's 
crazy because I didn't think we were going to do that. I didn't think we were going to have that much impact. I figured, hey, we're going to open these nice little restaurants. People are going to find them. They'll become their favorite restaurants. That's my goal. My goal is when you come to Esther's, it's your, now your favorite restaurant. When you come to Ada's, you're like, oh, my gosh, this is so close to my house. I don't have to now go downtown. Mm-hmm. Like, that's the reason why we built this up here. Right. right? 80% of the menu is the same as Esther's. A lot of it is like lunch stuff that we don't only do at lunch that people who would drive downtown for now can just come up here, hang out, bring their kids, grab some ice cream, grab, grab a kale salad, you know, grab a radiatory pasta. And they're like, oh, I love this pasta. I'm like, cool. Now you can get it for dinner here. Yeah. You know, that's like where before, like Esther's is the place because we're trying to be a little more progressive, a little more weird with some of the food. We'll be like, yeah, we're doing lamb neck cannelloni. You can't have that pasta. Right, so that's where we're kind of playing around now. Is like as, um, as Esther's, like kind of goes another direction of to be a little more upscale, a little more fun, a little more innovative, Mm -hmm. right? And we don't, we're never gonna get away from pasta pomodoro, obviously, because that's what we do. But as we open Ada's, it's the opportunity for us to find that restaurant that everyone really wants, but can't find in Las Vegas. You know, that's that's the goal. That's a great way of looking yeah. at it. So, James, is that sort of, I mean, that's probably one of the main answers to this question, but how do you survive here right. when so many restaurants have not? Uh, is that, I mean, I would say that's probably like I, a I really... I can say this as simply as I can say this, is that every chef who's come into Tivoli Village has tried to tell the people what how awesome they are, right, and how mm-hmm. stupid the guest is. Well, guess what? We're exactly the opposite. We are thankful and grateful for every freaking person that comes into this restaurant. Mm-hmm. We are here to make them happy, and we are here to make sure that they understand that we know that they have bills. Yeah, Summerlin might have the highest incomes, but it also has the highest mortgages in the city. Like they have, like the average mortgage in Summerlin is like eight hundred thousand mm-hmm. dollars, right? Yeah. If you have that much debt. And you're, even if you are an executive at MGM or doing something else like that where you're making some good money, you still have a mortgage to pay. You yep. still have bills. And people don't treat Summerlin like that. Like, a lot of our the people that are coming to the restaurant have been to Esther's. And they're like, God, I love Esther's. I just can't get down there because of the drive. And I drive up and I drive back. Al Mancini, one of our favorite writers in, in town, has been here to aid us more than he's been to Esther's. Wow. Because he drives home from work, and once he gets home, he gets with his wife, and they're like, do we really want to drive back downtown? Mm-hmm. And the answer is no. So just come hang out here. Right. Right? And that's awesome. He brings his dog and gets ice cream and walks around and has a great time. That's rad. That's what you want to see in people, right? And I use him as an example because he's very identifiable. Right. You know? It's true. Like, so it's like one of those things like, okay, great. Let's make sure that he understands that this is his neighborhood restaurant. Because if he understands that, everyone else who walks through the door will understand that. It's a great philosophy. There's definitely a step toward that, Mm -hmm. just in general. I mean, Mm -hmm. some of the people that you talk to all the time when you're working for Eater, Louie, and you're talking to Dan Mm -hmm. Cromer, you're talking to Kai Vu. These are chefs that are trying to do exactly the same thing that you're doing. Yeah. I mean, Dan was the first one. Mm -hmm. Dan Dan opened an amazing little uh, Japanese bar concept in a strip mall like a random strip mall right. random in, the, strip in the Southwest. Like, and he that? did it just because he was like, I can't find this food anywhere. Mm-hmm. Right? right. So when I got to Vegas, I was like, what's the big gap in the market? And the big gap in the market was seasonal Italian. 
because it's basically totally agree with that because there aren't very many Italian options right. in yeah. Vegas when there's a lot of Italian restaurants. Yeah. There's a lot of shitty red sauce Italian restaurants yeah. that pre-cook there your are. pasta and do that, and that's what they're known for. And here's my here's my whole entire like spiel about that. I was like, okay, cool. What is different between a place that's going to charge you twenty five dollars for chicken parmesan like North Italia, and was it Mastriani's or whatever random ass name red sauce place in Vegas is, mm -hmm. right? And the answer is there's no difference. There's literally no difference. That is a family restaurant trying to be like a chain. Like family restaurants and independents should be independent, should have their own voice and have their own say and their own like movement towards what they believe, mm -hmm. right? Instead, second generation people fall off people don't really want to be there they're just trying to like live off of a name i remember when i was growing up it was uh capazzoli's mm -hmm. right capazzoli's bob capazzoli was the best italian chef in the city and everyone knew it right he had a spot that was over by the boulevard mall the ghetto mall yeah yeah <laughs> yeah i remember yeah. that mall it's, i think yeah, it's still it's there now, yeah. it's, it's actually now a vape whoa. it's a vape place okay yeah. whoa so yeah so here's the thing is like when i was a kid it was a big deal to go to capazzoli's and come out and like the gnocchi were all handmade and it was all delicious and beautiful and we loved going to Capazzoli's. It was a treat. Right. Right? Now I look back at it, I was like, what's the difference between that and Olive Garden? And right now I could say if he was still cooking, probably nothing. Whoa. Yeah. Right? That's true. That's true. And so what they have is like, so we went through this thing about independent restaurants. Now everyone's, everything's a chain. Now what you're saying is you're seeing the wave back. People are pulling back from that because they see the lack of quality and they see the stock market price of Darden Foods is the more important part of, uh, of Olive Garden, not the actual fucking product that they're putting in there, right? right. Everything comes in bags and everything's pre-cooked and they cook pasta three days in advance and then you're like, that's gross, right? Like, why would you want to eat that? And then you're wondering why people are getting sick. Like, they have all these allergies and they have gluten sensitivity. Mm -hmm. Well, guess what? If you come into my restaurant and you tell me you have gluten sensitivity, but you can eat the bread and pasta in Italy, I make you eat bread and pasta. Because I promise you, you won't have a reaction. Mm -hmm. Because what your body's fighting against is fermenting flour inside your stomach and your gut flora can't handle it. Right. And that's why you get all gassy and bad shit happens, right? Well, <laughs> guess what? We just make everything and we cook it to order and it's fucking done right. So come and eat and have fun. Right. You know? That's what we love yeah. about you. We're going to wrap this up with yeah. our 60 second on the fly, which is us. That's, we're going to give you some rapid fire questions okay. and we're going to just have you go for 60 seconds. We're going to start it right now on the fly with James Trace. What'd you eat last night? Nothing. What? Uh, always at home in the fridge. Uh, soup. Cat or dog person? Cat. Oh, you finally got one, Louie. Oh, yeah. uh, favorite area of our city? Uh, downtown. Hobby outside kitchen. Uh, walking and seeing 80s music. Cook pet peeve. Uh, messy stations. Favorite local Las Vegas restaurant. You can't say yours. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we can, I, but you can't. Yeah. I mean, honestly, like it's so, it's so crazy, but I would say Sparrow and Wolf, Brian Spot. It's yeah. probably, I, I don't eat out a lot, but also that and herbs and rye. Those uh, are my two spots. Okay. Cool. Best tool in the kitchen. Uh, microplane. Food uh -huh, you John Curtis. <laughs> Food you can't live without. Pasta. Bands or TV? Uh, shows? War on Drugs. Okay. TV, TV show. show. Uh, nope. 
<laughs> don't have the time to watch it, I right? I don't watch TV. Denied oh, on the God. TV show. But good job. <laughs> Thank you so much, James Trees. That was awesome. That was awesome. That was super fun. <laughs> yeah. And we're going to end with what happens stays here. And we hope that chefs like James Trees will do that to keep our food delicious and local. Luby, how can you reach us? You can get us on our Instagram at Two Sharp Chefs, on Facebook at Two Sharp Chefs and Microphone, and our email address at Two Sharp Chefs at gmail.com. Thank you so much, Mr. James Trees. Get are. the F off the strip. I'm going to say, food. get the fuck off and just, you know, go to Ada's. Yeah, come up here. Take it out. It's pretty. Live well, be well. See you next time.